when you're producing food, something tangible that is, um, that, that, you know, that's going to feed people, whether that be here domestically um, or exported, it's a good thing to be involved in to know you're making difference that you're helping feed the world. This is The Producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The Reeds have been farming in Mimosa for over a hundred years. Six generations of sheep farmers that have perfected sustainable and low stress methods of farming. Lambman Dan Reed and his family farm in the heart of the Riverina in southern New South Wales and supply Sydney with some of the best quality lamb in the country. We farm um, in the Riverina, so it's about four and a half hours southwest of Sydney. Um, in between Tamora and Coolamon. Um, if you haven't heard of those towns, uh, we're about uh, 60 k's north of Wagga Wagga. Most people have heard of Wagga. Um, yeah, and I'm a sixth generation um, farmer there. With uh, We've been there for over 100 years, our family. So, yeah, farming in the blood. It's beautiful, undulating country um, that... Um, that, is, that uh, has pretty reliable rainfall. We, we have had droughts. The millennium drought was was pretty dire, but um, it is usually, yeah, pretty reliable, gets rain coming across from, from South Australia and, um, and from, from south and further north. And it's just beautiful uh, red loam country that um, produces uh, lots of feed, good feed, and, um, yeah, has the four distinct seasons um that that uh yeah that in a place like compared to say what most of your listeners if they're from metro areas where there's there's not really those four distinct seasons you really um you really get that at home and it's um it's each season has its um uh its positives and negatives obviously for um for producing for producing food but yeah especially fat lambs like riverina is the home of of uh, fat lambs in this country. But, uh, we, yeah, we originally, uh, it's my understanding, we came out from Scotland in um, in the 1800s to, uh, to Adelaide, actually, and then moved from Adelaide uh, to Kerrang in um, north, sort of north-northwestern um, Victoria, and then... Um, and then from Kerrang to Mimosa. So Mimosa was, um, which it was originally that's that's the area, and it was um, it was originally a large station. So um, and when um, when the station was broken up, there were lots for sale, and that's when uh, the Reeds and and um, some of the other family names that are in the area um, came and and bought. Um, a allotment there, and obviously the allotments were a lot smaller. I can't remember what the original holding was, whether it was 500 acres or, or I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, and then over the years, it's uh, just uh, grown and grown and grown. Especially under my grandfather or my great grandfather and grandfather, they um, they bought up a few of the neighbours um, over the years, and now we've got um, yeah around 10,000 acres. And, uh, yeah, so how it's changed, I guess, is there's just less people around now um, to do the work and we're machines and, and um, yes, I guess um, science and technology, advances in technology have made it um, – made jobs a little bit easier in some respects but um with sheep it is very hands-on so it's um we also plant crops so that's sort of the the um 
the gear to plant the crops has obviously gotten bigger and and, and easier and more effective. But um, yeah, in terms of sheep farming, it is um, it is very similar. Um, I guess today, as it has been for the last hundred years, except there's there's been a lot of um, changes in uh, in animal husbandry and um, making sure you can. Uh, well, I guess with research to to what works to um, increase your the uh, the life expectancy of lambs from young ages and get them through to that ideal weight so they can um, be processed and enjoyed on a plate. Popular cuts of lamb have changed over the years. But in Dan's family, when growing up, there was only one cut that hit the family table every week. I, I bring this up actually to my customers at the market. Is there was no slow cooked lamb shoulders when I was younger. Um, all our shoulders were cut into uh, drovers cut chops, and we would have eaten yeah drovers cut chops. I don't know five or six nights a week with um, you know your mashed potato and veg and it was like being from a sheep farm yeah we would have um we would have eaten lamb say i don't know five six times a week because <laughs> we just had a ready supply and so those those memories um are my earliest just of sitting down and eating drovers cut chops just delicious no matter if you if you burn them and, and you know my mum's from the old school tended to uh, probably burn meat more than uh, cook it medium rare as, as is the way these days, but it was still um, still very tasty. So they're, they're my memories. And also just like camp ovens and, and um, yeah, cooking out in the paddock. Um, there, there's some other uh, early memories. Although the family have farmed for over 100 years, Dan wasn't always headed for a life on the farm. Yeah, I've done a few different things in my time. Um, yeah, I... Um, I went away to uni and, and studied journalism and I was a journalist and, and lived overseas in, in various countries um, in the UK for a couple of years in America and Canada. Um, and yeah, so I've done a few different things and then came home to the family farm and um, yeah, that was, I, I definitely don't think I was always going to be a farmer. I think I wanted to, to do something different and go away to university and, and sort of explore something away from agriculture. But um, I guess the pull of the family farm, it's just such a um, such a fantastic um, asset, I guess, and the opportunity um, to, to be involved in, in such an operation was just, um, yeah, too good to pass up. I was in London. I was living in London and um, there was – I'd go to the the farmers markets there. I can't remember what it's called, um, the main one in the middle of London, and it was just booming. It was pumping, and there was a there was a few you know meat vendors there um, telling the story of their their farm and that sort of thing. And not that it wasn't it didn't exist in Australia. Like there obviously was markets, but it probably just wasn't as big and popular. And um, I just thought when I yeah when I get home I think like we've got just as good a story as some of these um, farms and I thought well when we get home we'll give this a crack and it, it aligned with my um, my youngest brother he just became qualified as a butcher and um, so when I came home from London onto the farm and we put our heads together and it because at, at that stage lamb was about four thirty a kilo four dollars thirty a kilo and then when I was in Sydney and, and going to having a look in butcher shops and you know they're charging seventy dollars a kilo for cutlets and I was like something's going wrong here we're, we're selling these lambs for eighty dollars a head 
and you know they're returning four or five hundred dollars um and and you know the producer's missing out so we just wanted to cut out that middleman and, and take charge of of our product so that's what we did and we built a built a butcher shop and got all the licenses and you know sunk a bit of capital in for refrigeration and all the rest of it and um yeah and then and then got it off the ground and um like the market it's um the the land market's very different these days um whereas now like last year we sold some um we sold some lambs at the sale yards for eleven dollars a kilo, so that's nearly threefold um, what it was, um, you know, six or seven years ago. And so that that's made, um, yeah, the uh, I guess the markets and the vertical integration less attractive. Like it's still we, we still do the markets every couple of weeks, um, but when when you can just drop them off at the local sale yard for for that great price you don't have to run through all your extra costs of the of the processing and the transportation and everything um yeah it's just a very very different um market we're operating in my mossa use crossbred lamb that suit the farming conditions and deliver the best eating quality too we have first cross use and um so their their mother is a merino and crossed with a um, crossed with a border lester, and that gives them um, a decent size um, of body, so they can they, they can carry twins, and they just, they they obviously they need a lot of feed, but then they can they're very hardy, and uh, they can survive through the harsh summers and, and also for the through the cold winters, and uh, and then we put a, a Dorset ram um, over those first cross ewes, and it uh, that is the most um, I'd say. It'd be the most common meat breed, um, and because it just produces an excellent shape um, of carcass, um, which is the key. And for you know, for your excellent um, looking cutlets and and loin chops, and and um, yeah, so we've used we use local um, local rams from uh, from a couple of. Um, couple of studs not too far from home so everything's and we, we breed our own first cross ewes so um with self-replacing um you you flock and um yeah so we've we've used that those same breeds for many many years like my father and then my grandfather before him so it's 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 proven and um just a proven breed and and just hangs up well beautifully in the uh in the butcher room and and is obviously excellently excellent tasting um we get so many comments of we've done carriage works for five or six years now and we have the same rustle on customers from when we started there um yeah that how much people just love our lamb they're um they're 100 pasture fed um so a lamb's born hopefully he uh he or she has a brother or sister or two brothers and sisters triplets which is uh, ideal but um we we um yeah hope our goal is to get as many twins as as possible um yeah so they're, they're born in those it's that's the really the key stage um like where you've got to go around the flock every day um, checking that they don't get st- stuck in in um, in the birthing process. Um, they also, if the the ewe can fall over, and so you've got to help them up and, and make sure that they're not down for too long, because then their their legs can stop working, and that can that can all affect the the life of the ewe. So it's 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 really going around and and um, ensuring that the lambs are um, 
the lambs and the ewes are in good health in that key lambing period. So they lamb they lamb two times a year um, in sort of early autumn and then and um, and then towards uh, the start of spring. And so it's really key to that you don't get any. Um, yeah, sort of infant, or you, you keep the you keep the lambing deaths to a minimum as much as possible. So they need to be in a small sheltered paddock because um, it can get quite cold in the winter. And yeah, then they basically um, they live their their life in the paddock. So we'll, we move them um, quite frequently from um, from paddock to paddock, depending on the amount of feed they've chewed down. So they they eat native grasses, loosen. Uh, we also plant um, some oats and and turnips and some different um, some different feed um, paddock for paddock via rotation because we also plant cereal crops and um, yeah basically the lambs are taken through till um, they're about anywhere between sort of three and a half months to six months and once they're once they're big enough for, once they get to the ideal weight then they're um, sent away and, and to the abattoir and and then they return to us and hang in our hang in our room uh, in our butcher room while we dry age them and then my brother Jason who's the butcher he um, he processes them but yeah they they have a very um like a, they're, they're free range which which many many sheep in Australia are but they're just they're not fed any grain they're not kept in any small confines they're in in large large um, paddocks full of especially the last couple of years full of plenty of green feed. As Dan explains, life on the farm is different every day. But the lamb have the most incredible life, which shows in their eating quality. With, with farming, it's, um, you know, some days are monotonous and you can, like, for example, um, I mentioned the, um, like, planting, planting the crop. So that can go for, for sort of six to eight to ten weeks and you're just sitting on a tractor and re refilling the tractor with with seed and fertilizer and different things and that's you can just do that same continuous action for a couple of months but then every day can be different at some stages like with sheep you can be marking lambs one day you, you can you're moving them to another paddock then you're working on your on your marketing um you're, you're fixing stuff in the shed you're trying to improve your your yards um there's just there's so many um Every day can be different, but there can be periods of, um, of uh, yeah, I guess, repeat monotonous, like um, like even shearing. So, like shearing will go for a couple of weeks, and yeah, you know, it's a big couple of weeks from um, from six in the morning till six at night. Like you're out there in the yards sorting out the sheep, um, pushing them up, keeping them up, pressing the wool, getting it all sorted. Like um, so, it's yeah, it's it's a mixture of I guess you're doing different things, but you're also a bit of uh, a bit of monotony as well, but then I get a bit of a break when I come up, you know, obviously to come up to Sydney and, and go to the markets and and have that interaction. So that's that's great as well. And we obviously spend a bit of time in the in the butcher room, um, yeah, packaging up the meat. It's not just sales and marketing and an avenue to market. Farmers markets provide a unique connection for Dan and his family to their client base. The best thing about the farmers markets is the validation that you're doing a great job and that you're producing an excellent product. I think one thing that farmers don't have or many farmers don't have is that face-to-face interaction and feedback for obvious reasons. You know, they're stuck out on the farm. So um, it's that was the probably... I'd say over the last few years, that's been the most heartening thing 
is just to have that, yeah, that validation that you're doing an excellent job, that people appreciate what you're doing and, and that, you know, you're producing an excellent product and, and people use that as a centrepiece to their celebrations, like, you know, a, a, a slow-cooked shoulder on Father's Day or Mother's Day, um, you know, birthday celebrations, like our customers are constantly telling me what they're doing with their lamb, how it's a part of, of their life and, and the celebration. So that's, that's a really special feeling. The life and times of a lamb farmer can get a bit crazy, and Dan's famous refrigerated ute has quite a story to share. So I've got a, uh, the people at the markets will be familiar, I've got a, a Hilux with the refrigerated back on it, and um, it was parked uh, in a street in Sydney, and it was stolen. And um, I'm not sure how it was stolen, because I had had both the sets of the keys, and anyway, when I've discovered that it was stolen I thought well that's it that the ute's gone um, but then um, it was used in in uh, several petty robberies around the inner west it was popping up um, yeah popping up in in suburbs here the, it, I got a speeding ticket actually that was yeah got a speeding ticket and um, you yeah, had the photo of the the criminal running through the red light um, and um, yeah, that it was it was missing for about three or four weeks, and I kept getting um, sort of notifications from the from the police, and then I put it up on a on a Inner West Facebook group, and someone said, oh, "I saw that saw that you today down parked outside a pub," and I went down to the pub, and it wasn't there, and chasing CCT footage and everything, and anyway, finally got the call from the police about oh, I can't remember, it was four or five weeks after it was stolen that they found it in a dead end street, um, just parked up there, and. Yeah, and then it sat um, sat in the uh, police forensics for another six weeks, and uh, it took me so long to get the ute back. And I finally got it back, and I, I walked in and opened the door, and there was a bag full of maggots in the in the cabin from uh, a donut kebab. I guess the criminals um, had enjoyed and left there, and um, so that was a, a big clean up job. But I was very happy to to get the ute back. But definitely one of the more bizarre happenings. Um, especially for this year so um yeah but another um another funny thing huck that i did a while ago well maybe you need to see it but i I put a gopro on a lamb um yeah christened it um lamb cam and um we we put that on there um just to show you know what the lamb goes through in a day and it was um yeah it was pretty hilarious well it only it only sort of the battery only went for about an hour and a half but it just basically wandered around eating and you know but it playing with um other lambs and um and that was about it but yeah that was um i think it's up on my instagram buried deep in there somewhere but yeah the old lamb cam i never really took off lamb cam but um i thought it was an interesting interesting um insight farming lamb is hugely rewarding but as Dan explains, it has its challenges too. The whole farming industry is, has um, changed. It's We're just going into a period now of um, land prices are just astronomical and through the roof. You know, not, not dissimilar to how house prices have been in, in uh, metro areas over the last few years. And, and that, um, that presents a lot of challenges for well, like a, younger, a younger farmer. Um, or relative to the to the older generation, um, in terms of yeah, like financing and, and getting land and purchasing land in your own name, and and um, you know the, just the the rising costs of, of machinery and and um, obviously fuel and um, things like that are just it's a very challenging environment um, 
to work in. So it's you've really got to be be on your numbers and and um, there's you you got to do it with everything within your control. But in farming, there's a lot of um, things beyond your control. Obviously, the weather is um, the main one there, and and market forces. So I guess um, yeah, the the effect on my I'm, I'm um, just a bit. I, I do ha- am, I'm confident about um, about agriculture and, and our business in particular with with prices that are that are pretty good for things at the moment. But I can see that there is some challenges ahead, and it's it's just going to take um, a lot of preparedness and planning to um, to face those challenges. Mimosa Valley Lamb is growing its flock and looking at new ways to take lamb farming into the next decade, mindful of the environment and making a positive influence too. I've got a few things going on because I also I, I do um, I do some events and communications work for a, uh, a farmer representative body. So I'm I'm actually moving on from that and going to do some. Um, a role with an ag tech company, but so I've got that on the horizon. But in terms of the the business, um, my brother and I have, um, yeah, we've we've bought, purchased um, some more lambs, so we've increased our flock, um, yeah, significantly. And so I guess it's, um, yeah, we've we've just got more more stock to deal with, and um, and it's a really really fantastic season. So this is going to be the third in a row when there's just been a lot of moisture um, available. So we've got some excellent crops and and plenty of feed. So it's just all set up for um, yeah a rip roaring harvest time around November and December. So that'll be that'll be busy. It always is, and um, it's an honest job when you're producing producing food. For for others, like um, you know, there's a lot of bullshit jobs out there. I think these days, um, you know, governments filled with them, and just when you're producing food, something tangible um, that is, um, yeah, that, you know, that's going to feed people, whether that be here domestically um, or exported around the world. Um, I just think it's a it's um, it's a good thing to be involved in to know you're making difference that you're helping feed the world. A staggering six generations of lamb farmers at Mimosa Valley Lamb have made a monumental impact on our food system by staying true to the land, to the lamb, and their customers too. This is the producers. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.